Father, for this time around your word. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you will guide us and lead us in what should be said so that we will be edified and strengthened. And we pray that this will be beneficial to each one of us, that your word, which is quick and powerful, will be a blessing to each one of us. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. There is something I read. Holy Spirit, truth divine, dawn upon this soul of mine. Word of God and inward light, wake my spirit and clear my sight. <laughs> Amen. So we're going to talk about justification. Justification by faith. And it's one of these three great truths that Alan thought we should look at. Justification, sanctification, glorification. It's one of the great trinities of our faith. The great threes, <laughs> like the trinity itself. But the book of Romans really deals with justification and in, in a way, it deals very well with sanctification. And of course, if you can get these three working in your life, glorification, you will live a life that glorifies God. And that's really what's got to happen to us. And it is a journey of faith we're on. I must admit, for a time, I used to think that they were very separate, these three things but I believe now they're very closely linked you cannot really talk about justification without eventually talking about sanctification because those two working in your life will bring glory to God and you should as an individual experience that glory of God working in your life or I suppose, as it says in Romans 5, 2, by whom also we have access and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Uh, justification has been a subject that I never was taught in my church. I don't think I ever heard anybody speak about it. It wasn't until I was about 40 something. In our church, the pastor's wife gave me a book by a prominent preacher who's now passed on to glory. And this book was to open my eyes to justification by faith. But of course, we just had 500 years since the Reformation. And it was Martin Luther who really was sort of resurrected from religion into life in God by this statement, justification by faith alone meaning that you don't really need to add anything to it because god is our justifier in jesus christ and we cannot produce anything that can merit ourselves before a holy and just god to say that we are just in our own right none of us can say that because <laughs> We have all failed and we've all sinned 
in Adam, for it says in Romans 3, 30, 23, we've all sinned and come short of what? The glory of God. So this is the, the real tenets of salvation, these three great pillars then that hold it up. And um, the whole purpose of, of our salvation is to bring us to the glory of God, because that's what Adam had. Adam was had a perfect communion, union with God. He was inherently righteous, but that state he was in was called the state of innocence. And when he was severely tried, or the, both of them, Adam and Eve, by Satan, of course, they fell to his temptation to do something that God said they shouldn't do. And so this is the fall of Adam and mankind in him. As a young Christian, I used to get quite upset about this idea that Adam had failed. And I had to suffer because of what he did. And it took me a long time, really, to grasp that probably if I had been there, I would have done exactly the same thing. And it was almost like the Holy Spirit was saying what it says in Romans 3.19. Now we know that whatsoever things law is said to them that are under the law, and this is it, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may be guilty before God. One of the great preachers of the last century said, until a, a person stops mouthing off about God and turns and humbles himself and repents, he's never going to come to a place where he accepts that he alone in his own self can never save himself. It's a bit like Jonah in the bottom of the whale, the whale in the bottom of the ocean who said, oh, salvation is of the Lord. What a revelation he had. He was a prophet, anointed of God. But he suddenly got the revelation that there was nothing he could do to save himself. So, justification. I always remember uh, when I got married, there was a fellow uh, a pharmacist like Irene's father was a pharmacist. In fact, he trained, finished his training with uh, Irene's father. And he, um, his daughter was bridesmaid in my wedding. And I, he retired and he was in his 80s. And he left this denomination he was in. And I didn't like to ask him why he'd left, but obviously something had happened. And it turned out in the end, it was all about this justification and righteousness. And um, so I said to him, I said, why do you think we've been brought up in churches that have never taught us and preached justification by faith? And his reply was this. Well, you see, they don't want us to know too much because they want to keep control over us. Well, that's religion, isn't it? You see, the great thing about Henry was when I came into these glory meetings, I realized I was in a lot of religious thinking. And it 
wasn't till I got really born again and set free in those meetings, I began to realize that what I had been in was not what I was in now. <laughs> and the great majority of believers in the church today, they believe in forgiveness of sins and baptism maybe. Some believe in the baptism of the Spirit, some don't because they're cessationists. But around this area we live is all forgiveness of sins and water baptism. Um, if you talk to somebody about being justified, they think you probably come from another planet, you know. Uh, well, where do you get that from? But if you read Romans 3 and Romans 4, this word just keeps on cropping up. Uh, in fact, it is the whole theme of, and I can understand why Martin Luther got so excited. And of course, he got liberated from religion. And of course, the church got very upset with him and they tried to, um, uh, I, th I really think they tried to do away with him actually. And, if, and some powerful person in one of the countries there, I can't don't know the exact history, but they protected him from, you know, the religious establishment. Yeah. Well, the religious establishment didn't like that I was in, didn't really like Henry. Uh, they told me this, that and the other. And I thought, oh, well, if you think that I'm off. But I had a bit of a wrong attitude to them. It took me a long time to have a right attitude towards them because when you've been in something that you don't, and, and this is the whole point about our salvation, if you just think that you're a forgiven sinner, well, you know, you, you've got this sort of church mouse uh, mentality that thinks, oh, well, you know, I'm just a forgiven sinner. That's all I am. Well, you're not. Because uh, the, the Roman epistle says, says so many things. This scripture say in Romans 3, 4. Uh, God forbid, ye let God be true, every man a liar, as it is written. Why? That thou mightest be justified in your sayings, and mightest overcome when you are judged. You see, the fact of the matter is that we are actually more than forgiven we're actually justified and we're in the process of being sanctified and we've been glorified. It's much more than having our sins forgiven, but having our sins forgiven is very important, obviously. And um, when you read these verses and you read, uh, and I don't want to read too much of this, but uh, for the sake of time, but, you have to understand how Paul is having to deal with Judaism, legalism, and we might not have the exact thing today in the religious circles of Judaism, but we have a type of it, <laughs> uh, you know, an, another model of it. <laughs> because the two great enemies of faith to the believer and the two great ditches that seem to uh, really... Uh, take people off the highway of faith is antinomianism and legalism. 
and they're both dangerous things but as Artie Kendall says this this whole subject of justification by faith needs actually some thinking through it, it's going to take you a bit of time as as I have to, had to take quite a bit of time to get my head around it because <clears throat> some people do get the wrong end of the stick and we've had them in our church in Gorsain when we were in the church uh, uh, and people would get that they seem to think that they take a scripture like 2 Corinthians 5 that we've been made the righteousness of Christ and that's an unfortunate translation in the authorized and so they think because they have made righteous uh, they're righteous um, and they think that well you know I'm righteous and whatever I do now is right well that's not quite the right interpretation of justification by faith because um in a sense you are but it, it, you've got to get this right you see because we have seen people uh, behave in a rather strange way um, and i said to somebody the other day this one person who was in ministry in america the first husband was quite good the second husband was better and the third husband was best and I thought, why would a person think that? And then it came to me, oh, they've been made righteous. So everything they do is right. No, 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 no. Of course, the third husband isn't there anymore because that's not right thinking. No, what this word is, is count. This is the verse in Romans 4. It says, for what saith the scripture, Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. It doesn't say that Abraham was made righteous. It says he was counted unto him as righteous. Now there is, there is a, that Greek word there, just to get this right, I can't pronounce it, um, it's lodges domai or something. L-O-G-I-Z-D-O-M-A-I and it's translated credited. It's like somebody, well, we're all spiritually bankrupt, frankly, without Jesus, without his righteousness, without forgiveness. And it's like we are a bankrupt spiritually. And when we accept what God has done for us in his son, Jesus Christ, righteousness is credited to our spiritual bank account we're no longer in debt we've been justified it's like we've been in the court of heaven and we come in and as we said we've been and god says oh i accept that person's uh, confession i can see their heart I can see they mean business and I accept them and you can you're counted now as righteous the righteousness has been credited to you and in fact this verse comes up in 3 4 5 6 9 10 11 22 23 and 24 of this chapter you see the thing is and then the, the great example that Paul is using is Abraham. 
because he says before that, what shall we say then, Abraham, a father, as pertaining to the flesh hath found? And this is the point, and I mentioned it before. But if Abraham was justified by works, that work he had that he fa uh, that Adam failed to do, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. He says, for what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him the righteous. Now to him, he says, that worketh is a reward, not reckoned of grace, but of debt. And then he says, but to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, the ungodly, I come in, I'm ungodly. I'm a sinner saved by grace. I come in with all my filthy rags. I, I'm, you know, I'm, well, Billy Graham says we're naked in our sinfulness. Probably right. And he says we suddenly get clothed with the righteousness of Christ. A robe of righteousness people talk about. We're clothed with this. His faith is counted for righteousness. Now, this goes back to Genesis 15, I think it's 6. Is it Genesis 15, 6? It could possibly be, yeah. Uh, and, um, yeah, Genesis 15, 6. And I just, I might have to go back there to show you, Abraham, so you can get this. Because, you know, you know, in the glory meetings we had, I noticed Paul would get up and say and talk about people who are under condemnation. Well, if you never, if you think you're only a forgiven sinner, and you never, the understanding of justification, and if you can get hold of this, what Paul is saying in this, in these chapters in Romans, you're going to come out of condemnation condemnate into acceptance you're accepted in the beloved and he's actually justified you he's actually given you his christ righteousness you're clothed with this righteousness so when he looks at you he sees the righteousness of christ upon you because you're accepted to the heavenly father in the beloved is his righteousness it's not mine, it's his righteousness. And, uh, and of course, David, and he uses David then, because it's quite obvious that David understood this, as we said before. And so, to get an understanding of this, you probably need to go back to Abraham, which is in Genesis uh, 15, verse 6. And if you go back to Genesis, you see that prior to this point in Abraham's life, he had been visited by God in Ur of the Chaldees. And it says the Lord appeared to Abraham. Now, it's only just a few words that, but you've got to grasp But when the Lord, the Lord's never appeared to me. I mean, I, uh, you know, I've never had like, well, uh, like Paul, Saul on the Damascus Road or Daniel when the Lord appeared to him and he felt he lost all his strength. You know, when the Lord appears to you, you've got an overwhelming power 
of glory, of awesome power and light and dazzling light that blinded Saul. Um, John Bunyan says, when the Lord appeared to Abram as he was then in Ur of the Chaldees, it was overwhelming because something dramatic happened to him when the Lord appeared to him. But he wasn't justified at that point. This is what is called the effectual call. And it could be you're listening to me and you've been called. And you do believe that Jesus is your saviour. And maybe you've confessed your sins and you believe he's... But it could be, like in Abraham's case, it, he suddenly had an experience with God which was subsequent where God said to him, because he says to God, where is this seed you promised me? You see, I've heard people say, oh, Abram was a, a moon worshipper. Oh, come on. I don't think Abram was any moon worshipper. Look, this, let's think about this now. He's the 20th generation from Adam. It was 10 generations to the flood and 10 generations from the flood to Abram. Look, if you work the, uh, all the years out, Shem, who was the son of, Abr of Noah, knew Abram because they lived such a long time. So you've got to understand that Abraham, Abram as he was, knew all about the flood. Look, Shem got on that boat, and when the flood came, he was in that storm on that boat, and he, when he got into the boat, there were a lot of people about. But when Shem got off that boat, there was only eight people about. Think about this now. So Abraham knew all about the flood the judgment of God on the antediluvians. And he's thinking, well, and as one great, great preachers have said, the flood did not deal with the sin problem. But Abraham began to seek God and realized that what Shem and those had believed and been passed down from from the descendants of Adam, I'm going to give you a seed that's going to crush the serpent's head. And the flood didn't crush the serpent's head because Shem had two brothers, Ham and Japheth. And for the sake of time, we won't go into all that, but... Uh, because we know by the time Abraham had this effectual call and traveled on what we know as the fertile crescent down to Kirjachirim near Hebron, he's coming now onto the borders of Egypt. And Egypt was, a, was quite a powerful nation in the day of Abraham. It wasn't quite so powerful maybe as it was 400 years later when his seed um, were under the genocide and 
slavery, and they got, you remember, the feast of the Passover delivered them. But he, you've got to understand the nature of sin in Adam's seed was such of the ungodliness of Ham and Japheth that you could have a nation like Egypt in the time of Abraham, and you had kings of, uh, you know. And, uh, so Abraham leaves on this effectual call. Now, Abram was, Abraham had this tremendous visitation. He leaves his beautiful central Egypt brick-built house in Ur, and he gets into a tent, and he travels this hundreds of miles. But he's got with him his father, and his nephew Lot. Now, he gets to the top of the Fertile Crescent, that's Haran, and he gets stuck there. You know, a lot of people get called of God, and because of associates, they never really get to where they want to go and find God in the way they want to find him. And eventually that that he dies, this person, Aaron, what, I can't remember his name for the sake. And then he travels down into Egypt. So he, he has one test and trial to get over in Haran. He's getting over it. He eventually gets to, to Canaan where he's supposed to go. But when he gets to Canaan, there's a famine. And in this famine, he decides to do something he shouldn't have done. He makes another mistake. He, he delayed in Harry. Now, he goes down to Egypt. And when he got down there, all this, the rulers, the, the pharaoh in Egypt fancies his wife. <laughs> now, look here. What is Abraham believing? He's believing for a seed, in Genesis 12, that will bless the whole earth. And Galatians 3 tells us that is the gospel he believed. So we're talking about the gospel here. And because God has mercy on Abram, really, when you work it all out, he's learning to walk by faith. Look, I'm learning to walk by faith. I don't know about you. Um, I sometimes think some days I haven't had a very good day. But thank God, God has mercy on me. And I'm still here. Thank God. And so God intervenes and he, he visits Pharaoh and says, oh, you take that woman, an angelic visitor, and you're a dead man. So this is God's mercy on Abraham. And because Abraham and Sarah are carrying the gospel, the seed of promise. And so eventually they get out of Egypt and he brings him back to the place where he first sacrificed in Bethel, Bethel, the house of God. And so he renews the covenant and God renews the covenant with him. And then he says to him, look at all those stars and look at all those sand. And he said, suddenly the light starts to go on in Abram's life. And it's like that as Christians, us. We get saved. We start on this journey of faith. And relatives hold us up. 
and then we go somewhere else and some we get muddled up with somebody the egyptians which we should have never gone down into egypt i mean uh, his son isaac knew the mistake and he never went down to egypt to help he stayed in the land and god blessed him see when god gives you a word his word the word comes to you whatever that word is you've got to believe it because it will not fail you when you believe it but now he's on a journey of revelation and faith and an unfolding of this great plan of the gospel he is the he is the original seed of the gospel because he's going to have a son that is not born naturally but born of promise so you, you've got to grasp that what abraham is believing for is a son and and he comes to this point and he says fear not abraham or abram he was then i am your shield and exceeding great reward look when you're in trouble and i think abram was wondering how in the world it's going to be and he says i'm going to give you a seed i'm going to give you a seed look now towards the heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them and he said unto them so shall thy seed be so when the god of resurrection fills your vision this is the god of resurrection see when we understand that he is our righteousness and he says he believed in the lord abram and he counted it unto him for righteousness this is the point we've got to grasp this that it's the righteousness of christ that gives us the promise and so there's no 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 limit to the soul's quest for he can quicken the dead and so this is where i believe we understand what what the what this whole question that we come here you know before us we think well how can god do this in my life well the point about it is god can do anything nothing is impossible to god and abraham of course is desiring he's desiring the seed the son and you might have a promise and you're just desiring us whatever that is and because this seed that he was going to buy was the seed of christ and this imputation says when he believed in the lord the imputation of righteousness to Abraham is founded upon his believing in the Lord as the quickener of the dead. And it is in this character he reveals himself in a world where what? Death reigns. 
but that where death reigns, the gospel reigns. And this is the whole point that we see, because it's he was counted unto him for righteousness. So as a believer, we got to move from believing our, our sins are forgiven, but we've been credited Christ's righteousness. And this is the whole point of the gospel, because God is not the God of the dead. He is the God of the living. And the whole, the whole uh, of this, um, the whole of this, you know, sonship, we're coming to sonship and heirship. We're being heirs and joint heirs with Christ. It, it's taking us out of ourselves because only God can adopt us as sons and daughters of the living. He alone can impute righteousness to us. And both are connected by faith into him who is the one that raised up Christ from the dead. We were dead in trespasses and sins. But when we accept Christ and his righteousness, we are changed, we are quickened, we are made a new people. And, and you know, and he, he looked up to heaven's vaults, Abraham did, as it were, and he said, you see the stars, you see all those stars and the sun. He said to Abraham, that's what your seed is going to be like. And yet... Sarah's womb was dead and he was dead. But what's impossible to God is not impossible. Impossible impossible to man is not impossible with God. And so we see the resurrection power of God working in Abraham's life. And he says to him, You see all those stars and you see all that sand, that's what your seed's going to be like. And this is the tremendous work of grace that must happen in our lives. The progressive revelation of the gospel in your life has got to come like it came in Abraham's life. He is the father of the faith. And we all come into him. And so we have a man and a woman that cannot have children but they're quickened. It says, it says that, and you that were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, forgiving all your trespasses. Colossians 2.13. Hence, therefore, sonship is founded on resurrection and stands connected with perfect justification perfect righteousness and perfect freedom and what a wonderful thing that is you know when i think when jesus talks about the prodigal son and he gives this parable of the prodigal son um that when the when the prodigal son returned 
he couldn't allow his son to sit at his table with his rags on. He had come back with rags. He'd lost everything. And he says he fell upon his neck and he kissed him. And this, this is God's grace to us, extended to us. And he says, the grace that brought the father out to the prodigal is the grace that reigns through righteousness to bring us prodigals and sinners to the father. It was grace, the wonderful power source of grace. And whatever state you're in tonight, wherever you are spiritually in your journey of faith, God wants you to move on to come to know him more and more. And the life of Abraham is a progressive spiritual growth of faith to come to have his Isaac. And in our lives, we are brought into the kingdom, but it's grace that conquers. Wherever sin abounded, it says, grace does much more abound. So when God promised, and he said to Adam, I'm going to give you another and that another is christ and that is the righteous one that's going to bring us into the tremendous privileges of him and you know the prodigal came back but god had to wait for his son to deck himself in his robes and he put robes of righteousness on him a garment of praise he shod his feet. And so we're, we're like that. We're justified. We be, so justification is something essential to us in our walk with God. We must know that we've been declared to be righteous with Christ's righteousness. And it's the wonder of the gospel to us is that we must come in and then the question of sonship the question of acceptance the question of being clothed with his righteousness the whole question of the availability we have because we're in father's house and you know this whole this whole thing of of understanding our position in Christ because because grace that brought the father out to the prodigal is the same grace that brought that he came out to me with and drew me to him and it's this grace that is the far in is in the father it's been grace had the father waved for the son and he decks us with that robe of righteousness and garments of praise. And he sheds our feet with the gospel of peace. He puts a ring on our finger and he says to him, we're accepted in the beloved because father, we're clothed with the righteousness 
of Christ. And this is a wonderful thing that we're part of a household now of faith. And it's this faith that we're learning. We're learning to walk by faith and not by sight. And faith comes, how? By hearing. And hearing by the word of God. And when we look at Abraham, we begin to realize that our justification is something that's imputed to us. But as we go on, if we go on in this study, we'll understand it's not only imputed to us, we're just counted as righteous. But as we go on in fellowship with God, it's imparted to us. And so we become and we grow up in the faith. And the life of Abraham shows us the power of the gospel to change us from being who we were to what Christ wants to be. So it's justification, it's sanctification, and it's glorification. But these are three things, and yet they're one. They're like God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are the, the foundation of our gospel. We have to understand that we cannot save ourselves, that we can't produce a righteousness that's good enough for God. It's Christ's righteousness that covers us. And that, that righteousness, it, we are accepted by the Father, and we are now his children, and we cry, Abba, Father. And we've got to learn to live this life of faith. And we're not going to find it that easy as, we, as you study the life of Abram, because when he was called, he was just Abram. But as you study his life, he became Abraham, which, of course, is the fulfillment of Pentecost. You are Passover, Pentecost, Tabernacles. Passover brings us in, closes the righteousness, but Pentecost fills us with the Holy Spirit. And that infilling and continual filling will give us tabernacles. We become a habitation of God through the Spirit that we are enabled to live the life of faith because we're living in the Spirit. And you might fail, and, and, and this is a learning process. Abraham's life, <laughs> he got stuck in Haran to start with. He then ended up in Egypt. He shouldn't have got stuck in Haran, and he shouldn't have ended up in Egypt because they fancied his wife. He nearly lost his wife and his life in Egypt. Well, that's the world. Egypt is a type of the world. And sometimes it, God has to extricate us like God extricated Abram from Egypt. And uh, you can read all about it. But he brought him back. He brought him back to Bethel. He brought him back and he renewed. And he said, look here. 
I'm going to count you as righteousness. It says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to, unto him for righteousness. So we are the believers. It's not just a forgiven sinner. We are actually clothed with the righteousness, a robe of righteousness. And this is the story of the prodigal son. He had to have his rags taken off. He had to be washed. He had to be cleaned. And he had to be clothed with the robe of father's house, a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet. And that's how we are. We are accepted in the beloved. The father accepts us in the beloved. And he calls us his sons and his daughters. And we've been adopted. And this is the progressive revelation of the gospel. We, we come in in our filthy rags and he takes them off and he dresses us. He clothes us with the garments of praise and the robe of righteousness. And we become part of the household of faith. And so God is teaching you to operate, to walk by faith and not by sight. And, that, and you have to be trained to do that because you're not, it's not going to just drop on you like uh, pennies from heaven. It's gonna, it's, it's, I, I, you're in a learning curve like Abram was. The life of Abraham took 25 years to have the seed of promise. And when he had his Isaac, he then was another 15, 40 years until he, 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 he was tested at Moriah. I find some of the things I've been through in life very difficult. And maybe some things in your life are, are difficult because there's something about you that doesn't want to submit to the righteousness of the gospel. It's, it's like you're, you want your way, but you see, God wants his way. His ways are best. All his paths are pleasantness and peace. But, there, but how many people have been derailed? How many people have lost their inheritance? How many people have uh, started out well, like the parable of the sower? Only 25% actually of the seed sown actually get it. So I want to be one of those that get it and when I fail to repent quickly and so I can walk the walk and talk the talk of faith <laughs> and I make mistakes but God is merciful to me because he's, he wants to be merciful to you so that you can understand that you are a child of Abraham he's the father of the faith you can know you can read these verses in um, you know in John in in, in in chapter 15 of Genesis and and it's it, it, it's 
It's a tremendous thing what God is doing. For this is the word that God gives to you as he gave to Abraham. He said, fear not whoever you are. I am your shield. I'm going to protect you. And I am your exceeding great reward. Look, the Lord will never let you down. <laughs> he cannot fail. Because you're not only forgiven, you're, but you've been declared righteous with the righteousness of Christ. And as we go on, if Alan wants to go on with this, you're going to be this this whole process that we're in is a is a, a an unveiling of who you are in Christ, of your sonship, of your daughters and sons and daughters of the living God. You're born again to be born again, Henry used to say. He used to meet people that have been in church and said they were born again, but he used to say you need to be born again to be born again, to get a revelation of it. You see, because when God anointed Henry in such a dramatic way, I can remember, I thought, well, I've been a Pentecostal all my life. I thought I knew everything. And I practically, I didn't know anything. But you see, when you come into a Holy Ghost meeting, and you come under the covering of the power of God, the anointing will break that yoke of religion and open your eyes. And so, yes, it's justification, sanctification, glorification. And this gospel that we have in the Roman epistle, this this Roman epistle is quite remarkable. It, it, it gives you the wonder and the glory of the gospel. And this is what it says in Romans 4, 17. He says, I've given you, I've made thee a father of many nations before him whom we believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was a hundred years old, neither the deadness of Sarah's womb, and he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able to perform. And this is the big statement. And therefore it was imputed to Abraham for righteousness. And then Paul says it was not written for Abraham's sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us, that you and me, to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus, our Lord from the dead, 
who was delivered for our offenses and here's the big thing and raised for our justification so the gospel is much more than forgiveness of sins it's been justified it's been declared righteous that you can stand in the presence of a holy god and you're now a child of god for he says therefore being justified by faith what do we have peace with god through our lord jesus christ by whom we have access by faith incidental into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of god we glory says in tribulations knowing this tremendous work and this is where many believers seem to fail by the wayside this is the tremendous statement paul makes knowing that tribulation works patience and patience experience and experience hope and hope maketh not ashamed because the love of god is shed abroad in our hearts by the holy ghost which is given unto us and that is the power of the of the spirit of god that works in us so we understand clearly who we are and what we are he says much more than being justified so we are sinners saved by grace but we're much more than that we are justified we are declared righteous and then paul says for if by one man's offense adam's offense death reigned by that one man much more they that receive the abundance of grace the gift of righteousness shall what reign in life by one jesus christ therefore as by the offense of one judgment as adam came upon all men to condemnation so by the righteousness of one that our lord jesus christ the free gift came upon all men to what justification i'm more than forgiven i'm justified i'm declared righteous i am covered with the righteousness of christ so he says if by one man's disobedience many were made sinners so by the obedience of one jesus christ many be made righteous what a wonderful gospel this is i have been brought out of sin i've been brought into my father's house and he's clothed me with his righteousness and the garments of salvation and he's brought me into a place where there is no condemnation <laughs> there is absolutely no condemnation and henry's favorite verses was this 
there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful place for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. It's tremendous. What a tremendous gospel we have. But I have to walk in it. And so this whole, this whole book of Romans, wow, what a wonderful book it is. You just don't know where to start and where to finish. But you can read it for yourself. Just read it and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you the wonder and the glory of this gospel because we are inheritors of everything that Jesus said. We are part of the household of faith. We are in this tremendous privileged people that God has revealed to us that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So I pray that the Holy Spirit will lead you, guide you into all truth. This is a learning curve. It doesn't come all at once. You know, when Israel inherited Canaan, it took it was a process they had to take one bit at a time. And the learning curve for me at times has been very painful. It hasn't been because there's something about us that, that wants its way. And probably, you know, the the prime chapter in the Roman epistle is the sixth chapter of Romans, which I remember when I was staggering along as a Christian and somebody gave me this book on Romans and it was a, a, a commentary on Romans 6. <laughs> I'd never read a commentary in my life. <laughs> But suddenly, as I read these words, the light started to go on. And progressively, I began to understand who I was in Christ. For it says, he that is dead is freed from sin. So me, myself, and I, myself, went to the cross and was crucified and died and that old man that it speaks about Romans 6 got buried he died and got buried and they've been raised a new person well that's virtually what happened to Abraham he suddenly got rejuvenated and he had his Isaac and so did Sarah but that is the quickening power of the gospel, the Holy Spirit working in our lives to show us, to lead us, and to guide us into the ways of God, 
so that we are led by the spirit and not led by the flesh. Because if you're going to let your flesh lead you, you're going to be in trouble. <laughs> As Romans 6 is very clear to tell you. Know ye not to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants to whom you obey, whether sin to death, there's the option, or obedience to righteousness. Isn't that wonderful? So in these days ahead, we see how the Lord leads. He wants us to understand that we are new creations, that God has brought us out. That as it says in Romans 8, the whole purpose of the gospel is that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For they that do mind the flesh, but they that are under the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are under the spirit the things of the spirit. And then Paul says, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God, but they that are in the flesh, but in the spirit, if so be, he says, the spirit of God dwells in you. He says, if any man be in Christ, but if Christ be is in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the spirit is life because of righteousness. Yeah. This is the gospel of righteousness. This is the power of the word of God that lives and abides in us. I believe and pray that the Holy Spirit will help each one to lead us and guide us in his ways. Because whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Well, praise God, we're in the process. God is working on me, and he's had an awful job with me. But I'm still here by the grace of God. <laughs> and maybe you might feel the same as me at times. And I fortunately had Saint Irene here to help me. I think... She thinks at times, well, what did I get into? But we're still here by the grace of God. I don't know whether you, Karen, feel the same about him. <laughs> but we're all in the process. We're all in the process. Because he says here, those he justified, he's going to glorify us. So there's hope in us. <laughs> he's working on us. He's doing a job on us, isn't it? So we help believe and help as we go on and see how we go in this. For he that raised up Christ from the dead, one of Henry's favorite verses, 
shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are not debtors to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you will die. But if you can through the spirit mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. <laughs> so praise God. We're just getting going, but we'll have to finish. <laughs> and I believe, you know, as we go into this in more depth, Hopefully, we begin to understand the grand purpose of God, which is to bring many sons and daughters Hallelujah. to glory. Hallelujah. I cannot forget the first time I went into a glory meeting and I felt the impact in the 1950s. It was 1950s, believe it or not. And the power of God. You hath he quickened. <laughs> who were dead. In trespasses and sins. Well. We all need to be quickened. We all need to come in on the glory. You see. The glory of God is what God wants us to have. Because when you have the glory. It makes all the difference.